Hello, everyone. I'm Lauren Consul, and I'm an attorney at the New York Prosecutors Training Institute, NIPTI, and also one of two traffic safety resource prosecutors for New York State, along with Mary Tanner Richter from the Albany County DA's office. I'm here with some case law updates and to follow up on the podcast that Mary and I did several months back on the issue of resentencing after violating your interlock requirement on conditional discharge or probation. So since our last podcast on this issue, we've had a couple of additional decisions come down. One was People v. Arvidsson in the third department. That came down in March, shortly after our last podcast. And because that was a third department case, of course, it did follow the reasoning of People v. Kuhn, which we discussed in detail in our previous podcast. If you haven't heard that yet, you can certainly go back and listen to it. And there is also an article in the Empire State Prosecutor to accompany that from the winter 2018 edition. So the first case we have to follow Kuhn is in the third department and is People v. Ardvidson. And that came down shortly after the last podcast that Mary and I did. And that case, being that it was in the third department, did follow the reasoning in Kuhn. And specifically, the holding there is that the statutory scheme as it currently exists does not authorize the imposition of an additional term of imprisonment where a period of imprisonment has already been imposed and served. Shortly after Ardvinson, we have People v. Zerbel in the fourth department, and that was decided in March of 2018. And People v. Zerbel similarly held as they did in Kuhn and cited to Kuhn and agreed, again, that statutory scheme that is currently in place does not permit the imposition of an additional term of imprisonment where a period has already been imposed and served, particularly where the defendant has already completed the maximum sentence, which was, in fact, the case in all of these cases. In two of them, the defendants had served a definite jail sentence and had completed that entire sentence. And in Zerbel, uh, the defendant there had an indeterminate sentence, but had maxed out and served his full sentence. The appropriate and available remedies that would be available for these types of offenses violating your interlock by some methodology when you are on probation or under conditional discharge, you could impose additional fine, additional time on the probation, or if it is cognizable, you can also make out potentially a misdemeanor charge for a new offense under the vehicle and traffic law 1198 sub 9. And that is, again, a misdemeanor crime that would make out a new crime for violating the interlock. I will also tell you that the Court of Appeals denied leave in Kuhn. The people did apply for leave, and they denied that in May of this year. And the prosecutors in Zerbel, as far as I know, were not seeking leave. And just a reminder that via the case Mountain View Coach v. Storms, this is now the law of the land, meaning that all departments should be following the third and fourth department's rulings until either their own department issues a contrary ruling or the Court of Appeals rules otherwise. So that is our update on the interlock requirement violation issues. There is one other additional very important case that you should be aware of. That came down from the Court of Appeals on May 3rd of this year, and it's People v. Odom, O-D-U-M. The holding in People v. Odom, contrary to uh, many years of case law that we have all been looking at, is that in order for consent to be valid, refusal warnings indicating that if the defendant refuses after two hours, 
they should not be including the statement that that refusal could be used against them at trial. And because standard warnings, as we've all been doing them for years, were given in People v. Odom, the court found that that was coercive because they held that it was not true that the refusal could be used at trial. And regardless of the fact that the warning regarding the license suspension ramifications was accurate, that did not matter. And so now the rule is that when there are more than two hours have passed, you need to alter your refusal warnings. And there is an excellent chart that was put together by the New York State Impaired Driving Committee with help from, again, my co-TSRP, Mary Tanner Richter. And that is available on Prosecutors Encyclopedia for all of you. I would encourage you to check that out and please make sure that you are communicating this information with law enforcement as obviously they are the ones that really need to know it. So now for some good news. The good news is that you should be on the lookout for an email announcing the official release of our Evidentiary Foundations for Vehicular Crimes Manual. It's the first of its kind, and we did a soft release of it at Summer College this year. Many of you heard me speak about it. It is a combination of scripts, descriptive background information, and videos that very quickly and easily help prosecutors to make sure that they are laying a complete and thorough evidentiary foundation for most of the common types of evidence that you will find in a vehicular crimes case. Event data recorders, cell phone information, obviously lab results, and of course some of your more common things, business records, and DNA actually as well. So there's a lot there that is applicable, of course, to vehicular crimes specifically, but also to any other types of cases that you may be trying. So I encourage you to check that out and share it with your fellow prosecutors. Also want to mention, since I know that a lot of my vehicular crimes prosecutors also do appellate work and that a lot of you in the smaller offices do your own appeals, wanted to make sure that you are aware of the new appellate division rules that went into effect on September 17th. These are uniform rules for all of the departments with each department having its own supplemental addendum with its own specific rules. And again, there is a great uh, page on Prosecutors Encyclopedia put together by NIPTI attorney Karen McGee, and it is called New Rules for the Appellate Division Courts Take Effect September 17th, 2018. So again, I encourage you to check that out and use it and make sure that you are complying with all of those requirements. And finally, we will be recording our next podcast next week and hopefully releasing it uh, in very early October. And that one is going to be an interview with our friend John Kwasnowski, renowned reconstructionist and teacher of prosecutors. He is going to talk with me under the guise of what I wish the prosecutors that I worked with when I used to testify would have known. So I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but He's going to give us some great tips and tricks to make sure that you are working most efficiently with your reconstructionist and presenting that evidence in a way that makes sense to the jury and will get you where you need to be. So thank you very much for joining us. Keep your eyes peeled, like I said, for those emails and future podcasts, and we will talk with you next time. <laughs>